Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Dave. And joining us today, we have special guest Alex Robinson of Star Wars Minute, Godfather Minute, and of course, comicbookalex.com. Welcome. Hello there. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for for joining us, Alex. Oh, my pleasure. This is very exciting. I think you made a mistake. This movie didn't come out in 1993 because that would make it 25 years old, right? Yes. And this movie yep. can't be 25 years old, so <laughs> oh, you guys have to check that oh, out. <laughs> um, yes, I am sorry to say that this movie is 25 years old. Sheesh. Yeah, we are we are old people here. <laughs> We're old. I mean, uh, I mean, this movie was released on the day I was born. <laughs> Not really, no. We're going to sign up for ARP. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, Alex, we have asked you to, to come here today to join us to discuss minute 45 of the mm-hmm. movie Groundhog Day. 45. So, so, day 45, yeah. So, Mr. Palace. Yes. What's going on? What happens in this momentous minute 45? In minute 45, Phil is agreeing that that's him on every category that Rita <laughs> lists as her perfect man. Uh, though he questions if uh, it's a man she's talking about on some of the things that she mentions. Uh, Phil still thinks he's really close on this one, though. Uh, we end with Phil ripping out the van's alternator, and some locals recognize him. So, uh, yeah, so so in minute 45, we're, we're in the middle of the conversation that Phil is talking with Reed about who her, her perfect man is. Mm-hmm. And so... You know the, all the things that she's lifting, lift, uh, listing off. He's going, oh, that's that's me. That's me, of course. <laughs> and this is continuing our thought from yesterday, um, which was, you know, Phil is definitely not in his evolved state because he's not honest, giving honest, uh, having an honest conversation where he's not giving the honest answers. But I also think Rita knows this, and I think it's this is just two people not having a conversation. They're just talking at each other, like she's saying all this to just to aggravate him because she knows it's fun to like say all these things that she knows he's not and he's just playing along because he's just phil and he's not you know he's not a real evolved man yet what's your take right uh so, yeah that that seems uh that seems plausible to me i mean at this point she doesn't uh, she thinks he's kind of a uh, creep right mm-hmm. so you know yeah. she's not saying this thinking like oh this guy is trying to uh he's the guy She's just kind of like, you know, it doesn't even matter what he thinks about it, sort of. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, you go, Sean, Sean, tell me. What well, you so, so you do, I guess, well, how much do you think this is sincere? It sounds like you're saying, like, you don't necessarily think this is really, this is an honest answer from Rita on what she's looking for or what she thinks she's looking for. I shouldn't say this is her not being honest. I mean, these are all most, yeah, they're all pretty good qualifiers for what a good guy should be is at least a boyfriend. Um, but I feel like, you know, she's, she's going the extra step. Like she's adding other things that she's embellishing just cause I think she likes making Phil sit through it. Mm-hmm. Like how, how, how silly some of these sound like, you know, poopy diapers, you know, 
Like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I kind of agree on on that point. Some of the things, like yeah, like like the diapers, where you don't. I don't know if you know that ahead of time. Like I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever changed a diaper. I've had like nieces and nephews and friends who have had babies, and and I don't do that. But mm-hmm. if I had my own child, like of course, I would do that for like my own, you know, my own flesh and blood. Just because I don't do it for someone else doesn't mean I wouldn't do it for my own kids. So you don't necessarily know, you know, ahead of time until you actually have a kid and you've got to deal with it. So to kind of put that ahead of time to say, um, you know, that's one of your criteria before you've even met the guy. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. Because um, one, one of the things I thought I didn't even question her, her sincerity, although it is it is a little weird that she's I mean, she, there was a little pushback last minute. at the beginning of this conversation of, you know, that's, we're getting a little personal and, and these two just met. Um, But one of the thing I noticed that she's, she's kind of shallow. She's, she's shallow in a way similar to, uh, similar to Phil. Now it's a, maybe it's a more romantic, uh, I guess, kind of like Disney Prince sort of shallowness, but to think like, you know, he's got a good body. Like, well, what, you know, I would think that if he's if he's got a good personality and they connect on all the other things that she would naturally be attractive, you know, or attracted no matter what he looks like. But apparently not. You know, she's he's got you know, he's got to have a good body, but not look in the mirror and and that kind of stuff. And he's kind and sensitive, but he's, you know, all these things. It seems like a lot of, well, how about if he just, you know, what if he likes you and he supports you and, and he wants you to be successful in life? How about that? Like, I think that's more important than having a good body. Am I detecting, am I detecting a little uh, bitterness in this uh, response? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I think there's, and we, we have spent plenty of time mm-hmm. talking about the issues that, that Phil has. I mean, this movie is kind of all about Phil's issues and he's certainly far from the perfect man. And then, and we've, we've, we've seen what he's done with, um, with Nancy and the other women of Punxsutawney. He's kind of used this time loop thing to do research on people and use that information to get dates and stuff. So he's, he's shallow, certainly. And I'm just saying, to be fair, Rita's kind of shallow too. It's it's a different kind of shallow, but it's still, I mean, some of it's good, you know, kind and sensitive and gentle. I I go with that. Um, but like he plays an instrument. So like if she met the perfect man and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, I was saving a baby from a burning building and a girder fell and took my hands off. I've got, there's, <laughs> there's nothing below the elbow. It all just got destroyed as I was doing this heroic, sensitive, gentle rescue. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I never learned to play the guitar with my feet. And so Rita's just going to walk on by. She's like, no. oh, no instrument. Just no good. Okay. You okay. Play see, th- <laughs> see, this is what I'm talking about. Like, she, you know, for every, like, one thing that she says, it's actually probably something that somebody like, in, a re- in a reasonable mind would say about what they would like in their perfect person. I think she's honestly keeping her armor up still is it i'm still thinking I'm, i gotta remember this is the minute that followed hey i think this is getting a little personal 
Mm-hmm. So when he prized her, I think she goes, oh, you know what you want? How about this? I'm going to read you the last 20 things I read in a Cosmo magazine. Like, that's how I see it. She read mm-hmm. some ladies magazine that said, mm-hmm. like, ladies, this is what these are the top 30 things your perfect man should have. And so she's just rattling stuff off. I don't think she means anything by it. I think she's like, I'm sitting here. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm not going to give you a serious answer. So I'm just kind of going to waste your time saying these goofy lines just to see if I can get a rise out of you. I think this is her time. I said, I think this is her turn to kind of mess with Phil since in her, um, in her perspective yesterday, she sat in that van listening to him blather on about people. These people are dumb. This town's dumb. That's dumb. So I think this is in my, I I think this is her saying like, Oh, you want to know who who I think in a guy? Cause you're trying to like do some cheap asking me out. I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you 50 things, uh, you know, I I don't take any of them seriously, but I I will, I'll keep, you know, egging you on. I think she's just trying to do it to get a rise out of him him being like, Oh yeah, I can. Yeah. I'm like that. Yeah. I'm like that. And she's like, I know you're not like that. You know, that's what I see this scene as is neither of these people are having an honest conversation. We're definitely not, definitely not from Phil's angle, but I don't think from Rita's either. I think they're both having non honest conversations. It's just two people talking at each other it'd be like if somebody like is honestly trying to sell me on the last jedi i'd be like look man it didn't work out for me and they say yeah but what if it wasn't that great i'm like no man it didn't work it'd be like that it'd be like two people are just talking at each other there's no honest conversation happening just somebody saying let me throw all these things out that they're not related to you and i want to say i'm going to dismiss it you know i think it's the same way with them yeah but porgs fine but like i mean i don't what do you want me to do i don't want to do this you know that's why i say like i'm holding 10 ports okay. i don't know what you want me to do with these i don't, I don't know all right okay <laughs> i that's all right i that that's fair that's fair i you know yeah she has I, she has no obligation to give him give him honest answers about what she sees in a guy so she's giving him the vapid surface level shallow stuff that she's read in ladies magazines that she probably doesn't take serious Ladies, your man needs to play an instrument and he needs to like cry in front of you and he needs to like be excited about changing poopy diapers. And she's just regurgitating that to Phil. That's, you know, that's really fair. And that really fits in with what we've, what we've seen so far with it's a, it's a lot of people talking past each other and they're just, yeah, they're just doing idle chit chat and they're not really engaging. And I kind of feel... I do feel that Phil is is moving along. He's getting to the point where he wants to have a real conversation. But it's, you know, if if no one wants to engage in him, it's really it's it's his own fault because of his his previous interactions and the way he's been talking with people that he hasn't been he hasn't been present to connect mm-hmm. with other people so that suddenly this loop thing is happening to him and now he wants to connect, but he was pushing everyone away yesterday, particularly Rita. So that he turns around and suddenly wants to connect and yeah, it it would make sense that she wouldn't be ready to jump in and and be honest with him. Yeah. Twice, twice. We remember on February 1st and the first time they did the uh, February 2nd, she invited him both to the, the night before dinner and the night of dinner for Groundhog Day, and he denied them both. You know, he and and so 
I can't say too much about the first Groundhog Day because I got that day got repeated or uh, looped over. But at least from her perspective, she said, hey, we're in town now. I'll, we could settle in in the bed and breakfast. And how about, you know, like the three of us will, will shoot the stuff over some drinks at dinner. And then he goes, no, I don't want to see Larry eat. <laughs> and then, you know, says like, hey, can you what, what, uh, whatever like creepy ski thing, thing he said about like his his like hip or his libido or something. Right. Where that line was. It's like, yeah, he she she gave the olive branch to like, hey, mm-hmm. let's just like not, you know, now that we're in town, we're not in the car. We don't have to like, you know, let's, let's have some time to com- decompress and we'll talk later. And he shot her down. So now in her in her, in her perspective, now he's going, oh, no, I kind of want to know what your perfect guy is. She's like, dude, like, I'm I'm not going to give you that today. I'm not going to give you that today. Like, this is day two of me knowing you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Alex, uh-huh. <laughs> have, have you ever had this kind of conversation? Have you sat down with someone and kind of just either, you know, have them or, or maybe you kind of listed what you were looking for in a, in a mate or a spouse or, or a partner, maybe a, maybe a, a podcast co-host. Do you have like a, a list of requirements? <laughs> Well, uh, I guess I don't. I guess I have a different take on it than you guys. But you guys have been much more in depth involved in it. So uh, <laughs> I think she's being sincere, and I don't think that like she only mentions the body. First of all, he asks like, "What's your perfect guy?" Right? He doesn't say what qualities are you looking for. He says, "What no. is the perfect guy?" If someone asks me, "What's the perfect woman?" and uh, like you know, I might list qualities, but that doesn't mean I demand them to be in order to you know. Uh, you know, she doesn't have to be a, a big fan of World War Two. It would be cool, but you right. know, I'm not going to yeah. be like, ugh, until I find a woman who's just as much into World War Two as I am, that I, you know, you, you don't deserve <laughs> me at my best. But uh, right, so I, yeah. So uh, you know, so and, and mo- well, the only really one I think that's shallow is the the good body one. But you know, but again, yeah. it's it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. He and did. Also, he did you, say, "What's your perfect guy?" That's true. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I think she's being sincere. I think she's just kind of like, she's just kind of written him off as like a, you know, a shallow jerk. So, you know, I'm sure she doesn't attribute any ulterior motive. Like, oh, is this guy stuck in some kind of time loop? Is he going to use this to, <laughs> you know, I'm sure she's just saying it because she doesn't, she just thinks he really doesn't even care. Like he's just, you know, trying to, he, he might be trying to do a runaround and, and, uh, and, you know, get her into bed, but she mm-hmm. can kind of see through his tricks. So. Yeah, that's that's uh, but, you know, like I said, you guys have been uh, you guys have been at this for 44 uh, <laughs> episodes now. So you might be a little bit sick of uh, Andy McDowell's. Uh, Not, oh, no, uh, no never. Still. But but no, Alex has brought up a good point. I, 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 I'm being a little I'm being a little hostile here. That's a good point. It's like just because he was a creep to her yesterday, she doesn't want to be you know, she doesn't want to be a jerk back to him. She so she's giving him a this is the, maybe she's seeing as this is the slow way we get to like become uh, good acquaintances you know at work you know this is this is her saying like all right I'll 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 play along with this game so like if if this is how because I said like you know it's kind of one of those things where like you meet somebody and they're a little quirky and so you're like okay maybe we have to kind of like approach. Uh, an acquaintance or a friendship kind of in a different way slowly. And then we'll, we'll be on better terms. Cause I don't think she wants to write him off immediately. Right. Well, and he did like, just to kick this whole thing off, he did give the little, I'm just trying to talk like a normal person. Yeah. So she did have some indication that, 
all right, he's trying to maybe he's yeah. trying to be a little less of a jerk yeah. than he had been previously. Because we are assuming he did a good job at the at the Groundhog Festival. We assume he put his best foot forward. So when he approaches her and say, "Hey, I want to talk like normal people talk," she doesn't say, "Oh, well, you were a complete disgrace on television." So she, so he probably did a good job. So she's like, "All right, he was clearly cranky yesterday." He's trying to to pull that back today. So, okay, what's my perfect guy? All right, let's let's play along. Let's play the sci-fi game. It'll he'll be this, he'll be that. He'll 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 yeah, he'll have every range of emotion and he'll want 50 children and he all wants to change their diapers. Um, well, also she could be saying it as a way maybe on some level she obviously she thinks he's a selfish jerk, but maybe she's saying this all to kind of demonstrate that other pe- some people have have more uh, you know, deeper requirements besides, you know, uh, his obviously, uh, you know, he doesn't seem like he has too many. Uh, he's not picky, I guess. Or, you know, the, the things he's <laughs> the things he's interested in aren't like deep things or emotional things. They're just, you know, just wants to score. So she might be saying this as a way of kind of like saying, see, there are other people out there who aren't who have more, you know, to them than just they're not just looking to get, you know, to exploit other people. So, mm mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I was listening to this tonight again, listening to the minute, uh, I noticed there's a lot. This this minute is probably the most I've heard in the movie, filled with background noise. I noticed like, the same thing. Okay, good because I noticed like the same. I don't know if it was the same, but like there was zippers. I heard zippers as if someone was zipping up their jacket. Um, I heard a lot. You know, the plates clattering. Like, all right, I'll allow plates clatter at the diner. Um, you know. Wait, waiters and waitresses and cooks are carrying plates but um laughter heard a lot of like laughter laughter like almost like it was the same woman like dot mp3 that was just played over and over that's what it felt like um this just to kind of like fill the space so it didn't because it's really there's no I don't know if there's any music in this scene it just i think it was just two people just talking Maybe they uh, put the laughter into re- that since this is mostly a kind of not serious scene but it's not like a a wacky joke packed scene. So maybe they put the laughter in there to kind of subconsciously remind you that you're still in a comedy. Hmm. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but yeah. Other, other than Phil kind of going, yeah, I'm, I'm really close. Kind of him uh, thinking that he <laughs> meets all these, the, these criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's the only comedy in the scene, but there's, yeah, there's no music, but we do get, yeah, I noticed there's some cars. There's like the traffic outside the diner, and then certainly like laughing and and talking, and which is it's not unusual for a diner, but I think it is it it's more noticeable than it is in yeah. the other scenes that we've had at least so far. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I picked it, up on yeah for a while. I was like, is there? Do I have like another? I was watching it on my computer. I'm like, do I have another window open? Am I playing another video somewhere? Yeah. With like, where all, where's all the sound coming from? But uh, but, I, but I tell you, yeah, definitely in this minute, you know, Phil is just he's so full of himself. He's he's almost like Han Solo. <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that 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 kind of brings up a couple things. Well, one thing, just going to the uh, director's commentary track on the Blu-ray. Uh, Ramus says um, that Phil believes all this. And I don't know if he was like winking at the microphone while he was doing, but like, so when Phil is kind of nodding and saying, yeah, I, you know, I'm really (laughs) close on this. um, (laughs) You know, at least Ramus thinks Phil really believes that like he, he does kind of match up with, with Rita really well. Wow. Um, 
But another thing I wanted to mention as I was watching this, I had a, I just kind of thought that this, there's a, there's some parallels here. Um, it made me, it made me think of Han Solo, and and Phil is kind of a Han Solo figure, and I'm thinking like this could be, this could be like a fever dream that Han Solo has while he's frozen in carbonite. Um, you know, he's he's hanging on, on a Jabba's wall. Mm-hmm on Tatooine and he's just, you know, he's in suspended animation or whatever happens while you're, um, you know, frozen and he's having this recurring dream and it kind of fit in. One is in that the way things repeat and we never see like, how does Phil get back to 6am? We saw the, the like initial entrance kind of thing where they drive into Punxsutawney. But then after that, it's like a very, it's kind of dreamy the way it moves around and and there seemed so it so it kind of made sense in that respect that just the way like the laws of physics and, and and so forth that that don't really seem to apply and Phil knows things he shouldn't really know, which would kind of be explained of this is all just a dream. And then I was just looking at some of the other characters around him. Um and then, I mean some things are obvious to say, well, okay, so Rita is a stand-in for Leia. That's kind of obvious. But then there were some other things and I was thinking, well, so we've got Ned. Ned's like the other really big, one of the other really big characters that that figures in this movie. And, you know, thinking like someone, so, you know, he sells insurance. He's big on actuarial tables and odds and numbers. So, like, that's obviously C-3PO. Ooh, okay. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm thinking Larry with the camera, that's R2-D2. Um, you know, he doesn't really say much. They don't interact much, but he's just kind of throwing pictures, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's not exact, but it's a dream, you know? Um, and then, so how does Hans, how is, uh, why is this Hans Solo's fever dream as opposed to like Peter Venkman's dream? (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Like why? I don't know. The, uh, I like where you're going, but I don't see the initial Hans Solo part. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be my only question. I think the trickiest part of this, yeah, of this fever dream comparison is, um, is, is Phil doesn't care about the van and you want to believe like the van is like the equivalent of the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if he doesn't care about the van, like, well, Han Solo always cares about the Millennium Falcon. Like he lives and dies by that machine. So it's kind of hard for, for, for someone not to want to be around it. So, I do see it, but not not to think about that. Like, can I see <laughs> if Venkman? Because Venkman, he all the thing is, yeah, it's like it's because like, Venkman really doesn't care about the Ecto one. That's more of uh, Ray and and Winston. They work on the Ecto, right? R- Peter usually just hangs out in the back office. So, okay, hmm. all right. I kind of see. So so then so Rita's kind of like the uh, Dana Barrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know she wants. She wants a guy to play an instrument because, you know, she's a musician. She wants to, like, you know, talk music shop. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. She would She would be into someone who played a, an instrument. Yeah, actually, I kind of like that. That works out as well. And then... I like to think... I like to think... Um, it's, a, I, it's like... Uh, you know, I almost want Larry... Like, Larry, you can... You can like, Larry's... Larry's not as fun as Ray, Winston, are, or Egon... But Ray could all or Ray, uh, Larry could be closer to Janine, where just mm-hmm. about the job. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. bothering about the job. You know, she's just like, hey, I got to do the secretarial work. Got to get these papers signed. We got this and that. And he's like, all right, Janine, geez. So that almost turns into Larry. Sure. And then kind of Lewis is kind of the Ned insurance oh accountant. It's oh, not, not too much of a leap there. Yeah. I mean, he's a little, little taller in the dream, but, you know, things happen. <laughs> are there any actors who, other than Bill Murray, who appear? Uh, like, are there any other actors from other Bill Murray movies, you know, in the, in the, in the film? Do you know? Well, Hal Ramis uh, uh, does play the neurologist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he does tell him he needs to get, so be like, that could be like, you know, he does see Egon in a way. Yeah. Because yeah. Egon, and what, and what does the neurologist want to do? He wants to get cat scans. He wants to take a brain tissue sample like Egon would. Hmm. So you do have that. There you go. Like Case it. closed. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Alex, yeah. Alex came in with a solid theory. I like <laughs> this. All right. I, I didn't. Know. I didn't even get to. Uh... Did you have more hand solo stuff? Let me hear what the other I like. I see. I see Sean here. He's got his index cards. It's like <laughs> Phil equals Chewbacca, and it's like he has an underlined like this is gonna be it. I just. I got. Well, I got one well, thing. Chewbacca's the just, groundhog, obviously. Yeah. Well, yeah. Chewbacca's the groundhog, obviously. But the one thing I wanted to say is, so we've we've talked about Alex, Dave, and I have talked about how Mrs. Lancaster. The the innkeeper at the bed and breakfast mm-hmm. is in on this somehow. She is playing. She plays too dumb. She plays too innocent. Wait, she's in in the dream or in this in in the time loop? Aspect? She's it. She's she's causing the time loop. I think. Okay. Hmm. Personally, I think she she's some kind of demon, supernatural spirit. Somehow she's something with that in. It's a it's a haunted bed and breakfast that every every guest, everyone who's staying at the B and B at the, the Cherry Street Inn is caught in a similar loop. They all have their own personal groundhog day. And she's the key figure. She's the cause of it. And so the parallel there is she's an Ugnaught. <laughs> because it was the Ugnaughts who like I mean, they weren't in charge, but they were actually doing the mechanics yeah. of causing the freezing. And here's Mrs. <laughs> Lancaster, who's causing the loop for for Phil. Man, you are acrobatic with, all, with how, you're, how you're stretching here, man. I'll tell you what, you are limber. Mrs. Yeah, okay. So that's, I just wanted to get that in, but, you know. But Ghostbusters, sure. Well, no, I was just, that was the first, you know, it could be Stripes, but I just didn't remember what his first name was, the Stripes. Winger, I know, is his last name, but John Winger? That sounds right. Sure. <laughs> Do you guys see? I assume you guys saw Stripes. Not yes. in a while. I'll, it's been a while. Yeah, I'll admit. I think uh, that's actually my favorite Bill Murray movie. I should spend another. I, I should. I should take the time to watch that again. I have not watched it in a while. Probably last time I saw it was probably like on Comedy Central, so it was cut down with commercials. So mm-hmm. yeah, not not a fair representation. Yeah, we should do that. Was well, as we're uh, as we're driving out to on our pilgrimage to Punxsutawney. Definitely, we'll we'll pop. Uh, We'll pop in the stripes. So, watch that on the road. And and did and stripes had a van. And now we're. I want. I want to get to the, this little sleep. Our last few seconds. <laughs> stripes did have a van. We got a van. It's all connected. It's all connected. Shout yeah. out to uh, Batman at eighty nine. Batman eighty nine. So, um, so you know we have Phil ripping out the alternator, and he, you know, we theorize is because, you know, he doesn't want Larry to bother him about the van working. But mm-hmm. my question is, is, do you think there's been some some days where Phil's actually kind of like, quote, buddied up to Larry to kind of understand the van so he knows exactly what he needs to do 
to like disable it. He's like, oh, Lair, what's what's that thing do? That, is that Bell? Is that Bell? <laughs> and what? Now what's this thing do? All right, that's the battery. And so he like learns. He's like, and uh, if you just pull that right, if it falls right out, like that would be a problem, right? So I think that's what you know. I think Phil spent some time knowing what the van does. I think it's because Han Solo blames himself for the hyperdrive not working. Oh no! <laughs> so in his dream, he's sabotaging the vehicle. <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. couldn't have said it better myself it was my fault yeah i would just so just going to to your point dave i would just say that larry really knows nothing about the van That's i think the, the the assumption that just because they think because he's the cameraman that and maybe he knows about cameras that then he must know about everything mechanical and so he knows about the van yeah I don't. I don't know if 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 Larry really knows more than the average person, or maybe he does. I mean, we will see later. Um, I think just yeah, in a, in a few minutes. This is this when is the, the, no, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say we yeah we will see in a few minutes when they when they're in the when uh, Phil and Rita are in the bar and they're and Phil's kind of asking about yes yeah, can Larry get the uh, the van going, but uh, that's. That that's possible, yeah. Because there's there's different things going on. So there's there's days. There are probably days where he jumps in the van with them, knowing that there's a blizzard and they're not going to be able to get out of town. They're just going to have to turn around. Or days that he sends them off on their own and he stays behind. But what's happening here is so he wants to spend more time with Rita. If she gets in the van with Larry and then they go. And he knows eventually they're going to come back because of the blizzard. Yeah. But then that he loses, I mean, what, two, three hours for them to go and they get stuck in traffic and then they got to turn around and come back. Yeah. And he's only got the one day. So he's just, he's got to make sure she doesn't leave at all, mm-hmm. which is why he's doing the, the van thing. But the, the reason, because I think we, none of us right now that I know of work at a news, news center. So we don't really know what the maintenance schedule is of their news vans. Mm-hmm. But obviously they want their news vans because they want to go out. Oh, there's breaking story, train crash, or oh, the plane's on fire. They want to like, oh, got to go get the plane. We got to get in the van. We got to take it. Got to go right to the airport. So, you know, I don't really know if they have a, and they might have an in-house garage with maintenance crews that keep the vans, you know, worked on. But I mean, I assume the cameramen are responsible for the equipment that's loaded into the van. So that may kind of like, you know, I'm not saying they have to know how to repair the van, but it could be one of those things where it's like Larry to keep job security, you know, says, you know, he knows how the van keep the van well maintenance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it looks good on his like annual report. Like, Oh, well, Larry, yeah, you were very charged and you kept the, the the lube and oil changes (laughs) done and this and that. And, you know, and Larry gets a little bonus or something. So, all right. Well, and it certainly makes sense, you know, even if he doesn't know much about the mechanics or the engine and that kind of stuff, like maybe he's not doing brake jobs and trannies and whatnot. He's not Mona Lisa Sorry? Vito here. But uh, but so they do have the editing equipment that I don't know if we've seen it yet um, or no, actually, yeah, we, we I think we did see it earlier, um, you know, that they've got the video equipment in the van. So at the very least, he should be familiar with some of the electrical systems and kind of keeping all that working and make sure they can edit and they can beam footage back to the studio and that kind of stuff. So and certainly that's not the kind of thing Phil would be involved with in a usual situation. He's the talent, as he said, he's just (laughs) going to stand and smile and talk into the mic and that kind of stuff. So 
Yeah. Maybe that's that's part of his process of of growth is he's got to open himself up to like, oh, now I've got to talk to Larry and I've got to listen to what he says and <laughs> I've got to kind of respect his knowledge because he knows about the van and I don't. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, that, that, that editing equipment, all that editing equipment, we didn't talk about this earlier. Probably that's all that's probably more expensive than the van, you know? Yeah. All, the van's all those piece of junk. Yeah, like yeah, it's just yeah, you're right. It's a regular it's I think, Yeah, it's a regular yeah, uh utility van. But they gotta make sure it runs well and they gotta make sure it doesn't, you know, mess up or yeah, if they take it to the shop, God forbid if some mechanic went in the back and you know threw a wrench accidentally at the one of those, yeah, one of those editing machines, that's a thousand dollars. And uh um and then, oh yeah, and speaking of which, with the news, like we have, we have, we have a couple here that recognize, hey, it's Phil Connors. So, I mean, he's probably more happy to talk with them because they see him and then they walk away. It's not like Ned where they try to sell him life insurance. <laughs> it's funny that she has. I just noticed she has a camera around her uh, neck. I guess to be, take mm-hmm. a picture of the groundhog. So she recognizes him, but he's clearly not famous enough where she says, "Can I take a picture?" <laughs> good point right well this is so this is uh this is a long time ago and long time long time before <laughs> well before digital cameras so it's you know you take a picture that's an investment that's you know that's that's film you've burned that you now have to get developed um you now have to get developed and you know it's all it's for the groundhog she's just you just can't be going around taking she only pictures has one, of... she only has one picture left on her roll so she can't <laughs> uh, she can't waste it <laughs> that's so yeah that's so funny to be like i never thought of that being like because i mean like if i ever went on vacation usually yeah you i bring the cheap camera and mm-hmm. then you, you take your you take your 20 shots and then you go okay we're done with that but yeah, with this, it's a real camera, real film. You're like, I don't know, like this this film. I only got like ten more rolls on me in, in my like Kodak bag. I don't even know if I could spare a shot. Uh, that's so funny. I hadn't I hadn't realized it before. But she literally at the end of this minute, she's got the she doesn't just have the camera around her neck. She's got the camera in hand. She kind of like picks it up and takes it in her hand, yeah. as if she's going to ask for a picture. And then, you know, you wonder, okay, what's going to happen in minute 46? Spoiler alert, she doesn't take a picture. <laughs> she just walks away with the camera in her hand. So, you know, fil- film is precious. Is it, uh, oh, film. Film. Yeah, film, because his name is Phil. Uh, <laughs> is there, uh, do they establish whether or not he can talk to people who are not in, like, could he call New York City during the day and tell someone, hey, listen, I'm stuck in this time loop or anything? Or do you guys know anything about that? Does he ever? Is it ever established whether or not he can do that? I don't remember. There's a lot of questions about that. We see, um, and this is actually kind of a, di- a difference: the later scripts versus the original screenplay, as written by Danny Rubin. So what we see in the movie is, I think there's only at least twice. I think it's only twice where he's trying to make a phone call, and both times all the long distance lines are down. Because it's snowing in space, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or whatever reason he's yeah, so he's not able. He's try- we don't know who he's trying to call. We just know he's trying to call somewhere, and he can't get out because of the blizzard. Um, now this is a little bit different. The original in uh, the original screenplay written by Danny Rubin, he actually does get out of town, 
Wow. And there's there's one scene. That, well, first it starts out he keeps trying to fly out, and like every regional airport in the area is all snowed in, and and everything's closed. And I think if I remember correctly, there's there is a scene where he rents a car, and he is able to drive out of town. But then the next morning he just wakes up and he's you know he's back in Punxsutawney again. Yeah. Um, but I think in th- I think in terms of the movie, at least what they show us is after the first or second day, he kind of gives up like the, we we don't you know, we see him the, the first Groundhog Day. They try to get back to Pittsburgh and they're snowed in the roads closed and they just head back to to Punxsutawney. And I, we don't see him in the van again trying to leave. And I think the so that day as they're returning to Punxsutawney, he's in a gas station. He's trying to call out and all the long distance lines are down. And I think it's the, the next day, the second Groundhog Day, where he's trying to make a phone call from his room at the bed and breakfast. And then after that, I don't know if we see him reach out again, either physically trying to leave or even make a phone call. Um, I would assume there's there's a lot of things we have to assume. They don't show us every iteration, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, just some of the things that we, you know, that Phil figures out about the town and stuff. There must have been days that that go by that they just cut for uh, probably for brevity's sake. Um, you know, that get cut from the movie. Wasn't there? So, isn't there a, a lot of debate about how long he's supposed to be stuck in the loop? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There. Yeah. There is. I mean, obviously, he. You know, he learns how to play piano. He learns how to do ice sculpture with a with a chainsaw. Um, he he knows all the personal details about everyone in this town. So there's a lot of iterations of this day that we don't see, and some of it's alluded alluded to. He talks about how he's um, he tells one of his dates that he's seen Heidi two a hundred times. <laughs> that uh, I think I think we're to assume that that's an accurate number, maybe not exact, but yeah, that he's. You know, he's seen that movie many times. He talks about um, when uh, towards the end, when Rita and, and Phil get kind of friendly and they're they're hanging out in his room and they're flipping playing cards into a hat. And, you know, her cards are going all over the place and his are going right into the hat. And he's like uh, four or five hours a day, six months tops and, and you'll be an expert. And I think that's meant to be a hint that he, um, you know, he had a period where he just had given up and wasn't doing much and was just sitting in his room, flipping playing cards into a hat four or five hours a day God, for six months, you know? So crippling. Yeah. Cause you know that that's probably like a lot of those nights where it's like he had the failed dates with her. And so mm-hmm. he's like, well, I'm going to sleep alone. And so he's just like, you know, he doesn't want to go yet. So yeah, you're like, he just stays up and he just thinks he's probably thinking about, you know, sitting there tossing the cards in the hat thinking about all right what am i going to do tomorrow am i gonna what am i going to say about the what about the you know uh, white chocolate and mm-hmm. french poetry and then you're right like you know he spent time when you know we'll get to that later he spends time like really studying what what rita does and yeah all the all every time there's like something where he's done it as an expert there's that what's that phrase where it's like you got a thousand hours to be considered an expert 10,000 hours. Oh, 10,000 10, hours. 10,000 hours. Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, the amount of things that he's an expert at, at least respectably, you got to say that you probably put a couple hundred hours there, a couple hundred hours there. Yeah, it adds up. 
Now, that's interesting. So one of the points that you made, Dave, and I'll, I'll bring it around back to the minute and and something uh, something Harold Ramis says uh, in the director's commentary, he talks about he, he uses the phrases, quote, putting the plan into action um, in terms of Phil laying the groundwork with Rita kind of hinting or it, the way I interpret it is that this is similar to what Phil is doing with Rita in this conversation is similar to what he's done, what we've seen him do with Nancy, what I think we, we should assume that he's done with other women in this town. And that is he's he's gathering information so that the next day he can seem like the perfect match, that he can he's going to know where you went to high school and who your English teacher was and, and what your you know, what's your favorite food and your favorite ice cream flavor and stuff like that. So he can kind of he can get a date kind of thing. And the one of the things that I kind of stood out with me is that. Rita doesn't really give him anything to work with, I think, because it's, you know, it's how do you, I mean, so one of the concrete things is like, oh, you know, my perfect man would play an instrument. So that's something that's like actionable information. Like Phil can then go and and learn how to play an instrument if he doesn't already. But some of the other things like kind and sensitive and gentle are a little bit more nebulous are going to be hard harder to implement or harder to use versus say the information he got from Nancy that it seemed like he was able to turn that around pretty quickly and kind of turn that into a date, you know, unless she, unless like the next day Rita comes into the diner after they've done their broadcast from, from Gobbler's Knob and, you know, Phil has got like a baby on the, you know, the, the table in the diner and he's changing a diaper, you know, (laughs) So I was just thinking, like, if that was his intent to, you know, that that same kind of plan of trying to like, all right, I've I've you know, I've kind of hustled every every woman between 25 and 80 in Punxsutawney. So now I've got to turn my my sights to Rita. You know, if that was his thinking. Wait, even even that woman, too, <laughs> with the camera at the end of the minute. Did he like decide, like, I'm going to follow her and her boyfriend, break them up and uh, I'm going to spend some time with her? Because I can't, because I'm Phil Connors. You know, that's that's a good point that in terms of, uh, again, going back to Danny Rubin and the original screenplay and, and what, what Danny's written about Phil and Groundhog Day is he, he always says that Phil goes after all the single women in Punxsutawney. And every time I read that, I kind of think I'm like, like he doesn't try to break anybody up. You know, it just, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that's like a particular sticking point for, for Ruben. Maybe he had like a girlfriend in high school who cheated on him and now he's got like a, you know, a, <laughs> and, and not that we, I mean, we all have animosity towards cheaters and cheating's awful and you shouldn't cheat. But, you know, even considering a, a fictional character and someone as diabolical as Phil, like even he wouldn't be a cheater. Um, or maybe it's just, maybe just the thought is, well, he's only got one day to close the deal before everything resets and trying to break someone up. It's too, you know, it's too much work and you might as well just go for the single ladies. But I, I gotta think that at some point that, yeah, given, um, you know, and there's some estimates that say, um, that say, you know, Phil spends 10,000 years 
worth of days in, in this loop. You got to figure with that much time at some point, he probably, you know, Hey, he's, you know, he is, he is Pittsburgh famous or Punxsutawney famous. You know, he does get recognized on the street. So there probably is, I, I would think there's a loop or two, a day or two where he's like, Hey, you know, get with, you know, get with the weatherman baby. So maybe, maybe. Hey, I don't know. I'll meet you halfway. He goes, he closes out his bank account and he does uh, indecent proposals. <laughs> there. Well, I guess if he knows everything's going to reset, like anything, you know, he could do anything pretty much. He could go on a murder spree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Morning, everything would be fine. He could. Yeah. And amazingly, he doesn't. Well, that, that, that we see. That we see. Well, but there's really, there, there is no indication. Now, then we get into now this this was a different time and this is one of the the areas where um where the movie shows its age one there's no cell phones um though i'm sure i'm i imagine even today even in the 21st century in and as we record this it's it's 2018 um i don't know if cell phone technology has made its way out to punxsutawney pennsylvania um but they certainly didn't have cell phones in in 93 but another way we know that this is the early nineties is that sort of that kind of, I'll just say sexual activity um, is seen in a different light. The way he takes advantage of, of the women in Punxsutawney, the way he uses the loop to gather information and deceive them and kind of say things that aren't true. That, that was kind of, kind of a joke back then whereas maybe we look at that sort of thing differently these days and we've talked about there are, you know many examples in many other movies where our supposed heroes do things that were um that offend the conscience today but it's it was a different time so um but so uh, so where was i going with this oh so there's I guess what we what might be considered today sexual violence. Now he's he doesn't act out physically, but again he's using deception, he's using lies, he's using this loop to gather information to deceive these women and that's a you know to to get intimate with them, so that's a type of violence. But in terms of physical violence, we really only see Phil acting out against himself. Um he punches the net. Well, yeah, I, but does Ned count as a person? <laughs> He's an insurance salesman. Ah, and, got him. No, and I, you know what? You're right. That's awful. Um, Ned is a person. And uh, Stephen Tobolowski, if you're listening and if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to come on in and defend Ned, uh, please contact us at groundhogminute at gmail.com. Yeah, and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's a charmer, but... I mean, I, like I said, we went over those minutes. Uh, Ned upsets me because I don't, you know, as soon as he makes a connection, he just starts pitching. It just upsets me. That's all. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's right. like, you know, hey. All right. So I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've upset Dave. I'm, I, I can get over it. I get, I've gotten over worse crazy I, stuff. I think we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I had for minute 45. But uh, so Alex. Yes. Any, anything else you have for, for this minute? On Groundhog Day, on on Groundhogs, on uh, on no, Wookies. I think, I think I'm. I think uh, I think I've said everything I have to say on the subject. Okay. I enjoyed <laughs> right. the movie. I'm glad. Overall, I, I enjoyed it as well. So, uh, right. Alex, we want to thank you for joining us. 
Oh, my and pleasure. And if our, li- our listeners, they want to hear more about you, where can they find you? Well, you can go to my uh, website, comicbookalex.com. There you can find links to Star Wars Minute and Godfather Minute, two of the podcasts I do, and um, stuff about my comic books that I draw. Awesome. And that's it. Thank you very much. And that's it. So that is it for us. Uh, thank you once again, Alex, for, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave, for, thank you, Dave, for hanging in. <laughs> and uh, thank you, all the folks uh, in podcast land, for listening. And we will see you tomorrow, if there is one. Groundhog Minute. Yes! <laughs> Well done.